Yeah, if Mike Wazowski had had four more limbs and shot rays of sadness at you. Well, I'm gonna talk about eco-terrorism. Got too excited about jorts. I'm leaving now with my Roomba or your blood on my hands. I'm back, back on my bullshit. What is meme if not airhorn persevering? No, this is this is not a family show. And I quote, many American titties. Why'd you have to bring Dane Cook to this, Andrew? No one wanted that. Oh, you guys are not ready for what I've got today. And I've apparently hit the very end of my attention span. Give me like 30 seconds, I'm looking for rhymes. Hello and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right, but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and how, uh, just real quick, I need each of you to roll a deck save just like real quick. Um, wait, do either of you two have dark vision? Never. Nope. Okay, Okay. great. That's going to be a d20 you'll roll with disadvantage. The DC is 15. I uh, rolled a six. I, not 20. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're lying. Kyle's telling the truth. Uh, hey, that's right. Um, we are doing... Just today, an honestly long overdue flavor text, and that topic is Dungeons and or Dragons. I so, choose Dungeons. Well, it's almost <laughs> exclusively way more Dungeons than Dragons. Like, the ratio yeah. of Dungeons to Dragons in most D&D games is, is like a 4 many, to 1. Real, real many, talk, to, though, many to little. Have either of you ever fought a dragon? I haven't. I haven't. I fought Dragonborn. Yeah. Um, nope, doesn't count. All right. Well, then probably. I mean, I was in one campaign that a dragon fought us. I wouldn't say we fought the dragon. <laughs> that is not a good, good, a good characterization of what happened. Uh, but we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons today. So thanks to a longtime member of hashtag Buttthwomp Nation and one of the best examples of the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good inten- intentions in a D&D game <laughs> I've personally ever experienced, uh, our friend user Hoomstradamus from the Discord um, gotta thank you for commissioning today's episode. You know, as always, if you ever want to commission your own episode, you can do so by pledging your undying loyalty to hashtag ButtthwompNation at the master debater level. In addition to giving us to giving one of us the opportunity to lore dump on the other hosts, you'll also get access to exclusive DT episode each month on the premium feed. You'll get access to the post show for all of the normal DT episodes. And you'll get access to participate in all other forms of epic level play that are exclusive to those who level up past level 21. That's a D&D third edition joke. Ooh. It might just be for me. <laughs> that, that is some 4D chess humor right that there. That is. You could, you could prestige. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> so joining me today on this one-shot campaign are my friends Kyle, my favorite class to play is Elf, Harper, (laughs) and Andrew. Well, the city is Barovia, but the land is also Barovia, and honestly, the whole thing feels a bit unnecessary, Henderson. It's also very good. Also, I I have never played an elf in D&D. Not one, not one, not not once, not never. We're gonna we're gonna talk about elves because they have a they have a whole history. I mean, everything has a history. Indeed. Listen, if you can't tell, listeners, I'm very excited. I'm very excited about <laughs> what we're doing today. I'm very, Todd I'm, is vibrating like right now. Just 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 Jones and my shirt's already off. I'm I'm so excited. <laughs> He's so sweaty. <laughs> now to say that the D and D story runs deep is just an incredible understatement. So today we'll be just looking at some specific parts of its history, some of the changes over time, 
some fun lore bits, um, some things that I think are personally interesting. And then I've I've snuck a fun game into the end that the other two <laughs> don't know what it is yet. Um, so it's I think it's fun and they will have to also say it's fun because I edit this episode and I'll make it seem like they're having fun. <laughs> but to start it off, I want to ask not just the standard, what is your experience with D&D? But I want to focus on the questions of how did you get started and if you have one or more, what is a personal favorite D&D moment that you might have? We can start with Kyle. All right. So my my experience with D&D is I have played it. Um, not not as much as the the uh, other two of you, but um, I've played D&D. Um, I, know, I first knew D&D as the, the game that birthed Magic the Gathering um, because that's, that's part of Magic yeah. the Gathering's history. Um, I was... I got started in D&D in Todd and Andrew's uh, two-bedroom ap- apartment they moved into post-college. And um, that was my... Was it there or was it your... It was, it was your... It was, circa, it, was it was circa 2010. It was that, yeah. it was that era. I think we, it, the first mm-hmm. time I played, it was your your dad's yeah. house, maybe? Um, something it like was that. that. It might have been that same campaign because my... Mm-hmm. Spoiler, my answer is the same. I played a yeah. wizard and you played a druid. I, I, I played a druid. And my mm-hmm. my favorite, I have two favorite D&D moments. Um, and the first is in that campaign when I accidentally min-maxed my druid, my warforged druid by transforming, right. by like making its <laughs> wild shape a velociraptor and getting like four move, four attack actions a turn oh. at level like four. You were the and loophole guy. Yeah. I, I, accident- I, I accidentally, I accidentally loopholed. I didn't know. I was just like how to how to build the best druid, and I didn't know that people like had broken this game at that point. Right. So I I broke the game and killed Todd's big bad in our first like <laughs> so meant quickly. to lose encounter. Um, and then my second favorite D and D moment is that I I played a um palad a dwarf paladin um in a different campaign with these guys, uh, Flint Gemhide and the the f- gem hide name apparently continues to this day it's although canon. although so fl- uh flint no longer is with us so well that's uh, a different it's a different continuity now kyle it's now. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. L- listeners the this is just for us um because i mean we're friends in real life off the podcast gem hide has become a staple of i think every campaign i've been in since mm-hmm. its inception which is yeah the through line yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh Todd's currently playing Jasper Gemhide. Um <laughs> I I com- I finished our Curse of Strahd campaign is Jade Gemhide, Flint's granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And uh we had an en- a recurring NPC Ember Gemhide who appeared in a previous campaign, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. I recently this is just for us now. I recently had to physically draw out the Gemhide family tree to, <laughs> to make sure the continuity continues to match up. So I'll have to give you a copy yeah. of that at some point, Kyle. It's, it's our it's our very own House of the Dragon. Is the, <laughs> it is the yeah. Gemhide yeah. line? Well, all right, Andrew. I, I will die. I will. I cannot die until we do a Gemhide family Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna happen. Um, yeah, I mean, this my answer is the same. It was the campaign that uh, Todd started. It was a 3-5 campaign that we did when Todd and I lived together right after college. Like I said, I played a wizard. I think I was a gnome, um, maybe an elf. I can't remember. And um, I was a gnome. 
Yeah. Um. And then, uh, yep. Kyle was a druid, and then I we had one other person. We had like a, I think we had a, our fourth seat. Our was buddy like a Mike was, seat. and Mike was, was a there fighter too. Yeah, that's right. that's right. Um. Yeah, and it was it was a lot of fun. That that got me interested. That got me hooked. I never played mm-hmm. it as a kid. Um. Like I, like I know Todd did. Um. But I you know grew up playing RPGs, obviously. So this this very easily slotted into my life without any any argument or hesitation. Yeah. Um, so since that time. I lived out in San Francisco for a few years and I played a couple uh, drop-in games with some friends or some random random people and then did a one-shot with some friends. But it really wasn't until um, five or six years ago where I DM'd a campaign when I moved back to Columbus um, and that was the the Flint Gemhide campaign <laughs> that I ran. Um, and that, that campaign, much like... There's an... Every campaign has an origin story, a D&D origin story. <laughs> and that that was the origin story for two of our friends both named Mike. Um and then uh and then yeah, and like I said we just finished Curse of Strahd, which was like a two-year thing. Have done some other virtual ones and a couple one-offs here and there. And uh yeah, we're kind of in the we're doing a doing a small hiatus like in between session. But uh, we're gonna do our next big campaign, which I'm sure Todd will get into. Um, my personal favorite, I've, and I'll say, my well, my personal favorite D and D moment uh, was in the campaign that Todd run brand before Curse of Strahd, where um, I played a bard, and I I really like making theme characters because <laughs> that's my personality. So I made a bard that didn't like to fight. I basically, I, I kind of based him off of, um, uh, what's his name from Witcher? Yaskier? Yeah, yeah. Yaskier, Yaskier from The Witcher. Um, and I, I wanted him to be like a pacifist. So all of my abilities were like friends and pacify <laughs> and like illusion spells and things like that. Disguise self. Like, um, so I didn't have any, I didn't have any way to do damage. And the first big dungeon that Todd had built for us was like, we were going to this like orc factory, basically. Yeah. This was a homebrew <laughs> campaign. And we had to like go to the heart of the factory and like fight the big bad. Well, what instead of fighting, what we had decided to do is I disguised myself as the leader of these orcs, and because orcs aren't very intelligent, <laughs> they believed me. Yes, they and did. We, we we also had one of our other teammates was a giant, which we just like put in handcuffs, and we're like, he's our prisoner. Yar. And they're like, cool. So we we literally like we marched our entire team just slow walked through the whole dungeon and just like <laughs> got to see all the traps and kind of like saluted them and like all of the bad guys that were just waiting to fight us like so we made it all the way to the inner chamber and Todd was like you motherfuckers are going to fight something and he brought in so like the guy or he put us into this chamber and he was like all right you can't convince them anymore like the guy that you're pretending to be is in another door like you need we need an explanation your, quickly your luck is your luck is is out yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and we were like, all right, and then <laughs> because our our friend who was playing the the giant, or I'm sorry, an ogre, he he had some background about being a chef, so we lied and said that we were a celebrity chef team, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then of course on the bluff check rolled a nat twenty, so Todd uh, had to, so Todd had to go with it, and uh, yeah, and then uh, it it culminated in um, 
the the ogre basically like boiling a pot of hot water for yeah. 10 minutes and then spilling the pot of hot water in the bad guy and doing like 20 damage <laughs> yeah so so i'll fill in those gaps because i completely forget that was a black hole in my mind um i put a lot of effort into that that factory that was a whole thing and <laughs> they walked past thing. it all they walked past the whole whole thing and as you got to the last door i was like well this door is locked and you can't unlock it like and i was like I was like, there's a kitchen outside. You can't unlock this door. And uh, one of our one of our other friends who listens to the podcast sometimes, uh, the warlock on the team was like, well, I'm going to try and pick the lock. And I was like, fine, but it's like it's a hard lock to pick. And he rolled a 20. And I was like, you pick the lock. Todd, Todd just <laughs> eating his notes at yeah. this point. Just like. And and I specifically remember. So you're referring to our Goliath barbarian picked up a cauldron of water. Yeah. A giant black cauldron and carried it into this room to say like, "Hey, we brought you your soup dinner." <laughs> yeah. The fight started. That's right. I've heard the, this now. The it's fight incredible. started. The troll. The big deal with the troll was that he was immune to fire, so he was like the dangerous troll. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he could do was throw fiery like magma, and he did it. And the Goliath on your team was like, "Can I?" swing the cauldron of water at the magma fire to nullify the magma and i was like you can but you're gonna have to roll really really high and i don't know if he rolled a 20 but it was high enough that i was like i can't deny that yeah it's very cool yeah just like shit all over this like really cool encounter and i was like whatever we the goofs are the goofs that got us there. You you, know. you could say our our favorite thing to do in D D is ruin all of Todd's plans. Is, because yeah, Womp Todd. Which, which is like, I mean, there's no there's no bullet point today in the flavor text about like sometimes you get to shit on your DM's plans and it's actually fun if you do that. But I would say um, to to answer this question myself, so I started playing in two era in eighth grade, so that puts me around two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Um, three third edition was going three five hadn't dropped yet. Um, Played with a good amount of my junior high friends, played all through high school, didn't really play much in college. Then we graduated. Us three played, mm-hmm. um, didn't play much in grad school, didn't play much when I lived out of state, came back, hit D&D hard, hit it, yeah. came <laughs> back to it, came back to it like an old, an old friend. Um, it, it's become our third personalities. It, it is. Yeah. And it is honestly like this is such a cool flavor text to do because it truly is when I describe things that matter to me. Hanging out with my friends and playing board games, but to a greater extent, D&D is one of my favorite things I get to do. Uh, and my favorite stories, I'm going to specifically pick one because Matt's not here. And it's a Matt story. I know. So Matt would also... Hey, spoiler listeners, I also got Matt into D&D. So, uh, so Matt would tell you that his one of his favorite moments was... They were, it was in an old campaign that I ran. He was playing a Warforged as a one-shot That drop same in. campaign. Same campaign. He not the same session, but same campaign. He you were fighting uh, robot sharks and (laughs) he cut the head off a robot shark because he just he killed it. He just super Mm -hmm. killed it. And I was like, yeah, man, you ripped the head off this robot shark. And he's like, well, I have a second attack, don't I? And I go, you do. And he goes, I want to hit that shark with this shark. (laughs) (laughs) And like, how don't you say yes to that? Yeah, no. And I don't know. I don't think he did a ton of damage, but he hit that shark with this shark. And like. (laughs) It was amazing. It was fantastic. Yeah, I like. I think that was the same. I mean, that was after decapitating an, a shark with a shield, which was pretty rad. Yeah, he he. That was. I mean, that would probably probably be one of Matt's favorite uh, moments. I mean, there's 
listen, we don't do uh, post shows for flavor text, but we could just fill that air. And yeah. so mm -hmm. um, as opposed to doing that, I do want to get into what we do have to say today. And so let's talk about D&D. So at its core, Dungeons and Dragons, it sets up with a dungeon master or a game master, a DM or a GM, whatever you want to call that. In the earliest editions, they called that role a referee. But a oh. DM, yeah, a DM leads a party through imaginary adventures that include exploration, puzzles, battles, uh, and the occasional social encounter in a tavern. <laughs> <laughs> all of all of this is done with the intention of those players gaining experience, leveling up, uh, finding a MacGuffin, or doing something for a major plot reason. So those plot reasons have and could include stealing a dragon's treasure. Reestablishing re the giant's ordning, uh, helping solve the 500-year-old relationship woes of a sad vampire himbo. Those are just a few <laughs> of the things that I personally know uh, that have been money-gaining adventures from Wizards of the Coast. I think I think it's important to say for anyone who is absolutely unfamiliar with D and D, um, it is there are there are no rules except for like except to dictate like how to determine what you do. So if you want your mm -hmm. character, if your character does not want to go adventuring, you absolutely can just be like, no, I'm not going on the adventure. And like, it is up to the rest of the party to figure out how to deal with that. But like, right. you, like it is open world, like absolutely open world. Your limit is your and the, the GM's imaginations. Um, yeah, yeah, it's probably frowned upon to say, like, if if the quest giver, if a person busts into your tavern is like, I'm looking for adventurers to help me. If you're the character that's like, I don't I think I just want to sit here. It's a little rainy. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to sit here and not go on the adventure today. So don't be that guy because no, that's not great. Um, but yeah, it's it is up to your imagination. If you are still kind of lost on what D&D &D is. Um, I'll try and paint some more picture here. It's a, it's a game of make-believe that, that you play with your friends in the world of imagination. There is not a correct way to play D&D, &D, though I would argue there is the wrong way <laughs> there to are, play D&D. There are wrong ways to play D&D. &D. The, the thing that I wish I would have gathered sooner is that D&D &D is a cooperative storytelling game with your friends. That it is never the goal for your character to be the best thing. It's never the goal for necessarily like your character to be in the spotlight. It is the goal for the party to be cohesive and have fun and like probably move towards the ultimate destination that you're heading towards direct or indirect TBD. Yeah. So let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons. So it is often referred to as a TTRPG, which is tabletop role playing game, um, sometimes also referred to as a pen and paper RPG, because mm. if you're like me and you have no idea the first time you sit down with like gridded graph paper and pens and you're like we're gonna play a game you're like what we're math math the game math and you're math like the game kind of <laughs> so it was introduced it was invented um came together however you want to phrase this in 1974 by two guys gary gygax and dave arneson and they put it together in 74 um with a, a company called tactical studies rules incorporated or tsr and so prior to 74, there wasn't really much like this, though there was a game called Chainmail, which Chainmail was like a medieval battle game. So think kind of like Warhammer 40K. Um, okay. You're like moving troops and fighting troops. It was just like combat-based field play. 
And so prior to 74, there wasn't really anything like this, but Gygax and Arneson came up with D&D, which added more like uh, magic. We'll just say that. That would be the way that I would phrase it. Like there's there's magic users in this. And so to drill in a little bit deeper, it was built with like a $2,000 budget yeah in 74 so 70 two thousand dollars goes farther in 74 but still like not a lot of money and only a hundred dollars went to the actual animation or or art budget so if you look up the original books for D &D in 74 which oh there's something yeah oh my god it's it is napkin scribbles Uh uh-huh it is it is really something um in 74 it was also aimed at this kind of like existing war gaming fan base. They weren't trying to reach new gamers. They knew their population. They were already playing these war games. And so they just were like, hey, this is for you. This is this is what you've been doing, but with magic. Um, some fun things, because I want to talk a little bit how older series of D&D worked. So the first iteration of D&D is sometimes called OD&D, which is original D&D. The three classes that came in the original D&D were Fighting Man, Magic User, and Cleric. Fighting Man's my favorite Mega Man boss. Right, Fighting Man, Magic User. Um, later on, we got Paladin, we got Thief, we got Assassin, we got a Monk, uh, we got Druid. Um, oh, wow, Monk was like, that early. Yeah, yeah. So they, okay. and they it was started still build... shitty. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they they started to build off of them. So it was like, oh, a type of a fighting man would be a paladin. Like they kind of started to build subclasses. Um, there were also races early on. So they had dwarves, they had elves, they had halflings. But there were limitations of like, dwarves couldn't be magic users, elves couldn't mm. be clerics, Half halflings couldn't be clerics. I don't know if they ever articulated those reasons or if it was just like, well, no, obviously, guys, dwarves can't be magic users. <laughs> duh. Yeah, duh. Like, you know, they're, they're, it was just the existing rules of what they had. Is it is it safe to say that this is also heavily taken from like Lord of the Rings? Tolkien. Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like these are cut from the same cloth. Um, I couldn't find the direct connections that exist there, but they certainly influence one another. Like there's no way that they don't. It's just... I think that no one, I mean, elves aren't a copywritten thing, you know, right. dwarves aren't a copywritten thing. But and like, so it's, but like, these are Tolkien elves, not mm -hmm. Santa's helpers. Elves, mm -hmm. like Ke Or Keebler elves. Yeah, like yes, or the, the kind that makes shoes. We, we hit all three. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple years go by um, year by year that that gets popular. So three years later, we actually get our first what I would call a quote, the D&D &D box set. And so we still see this 40 years later. This is the box set that comes with the basic rules, uh, some probably sheets of paper, pre-generated characters, some dice. Um, and this is like the thing that you get your kid for Christmas and you change their life forever when they're in eighth grade. So mm -hmm. I got the D&D <laughs> box set for 3E. Like I remember my first, my third edition paladin named Josen, who was a uh, cleric of Paylor. Like I remember that. Um, a lot of a lot of armor, not a lot of dexterity. He was not great at many things. <laughs> and so when they put this out, um, this was aimed at just like the filthy casuals. They realized, hey, we've been making this stuff for like these hardcore fans. We need to really dial it back to the people who maybe aren't, you know, super into war games, who don't necessarily know all the in-depth pieces here. We need to really like generalize this content. And so that same year, they also put out what was called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. 
So they had babies first D&D and then advanced D&D, which sometimes you'll hear advanced D&D referred to as AD&D. And that was basically like, hey, you played basic D&D and you liked it. What if we gave you more? What if we gave you okay. more levels? What if we gave okay. you more content? What if we gave you more rules? What if you like really get in? And we kind of start the battle pass. It's it's kind of the situation where like we have these diverging paths for a while, for like 20 years or so, where they have basic D&D and advanced D&D. And advanced D&D is just crunchier. There's just more there. And so, you know, you could upgrade your game after you've, gone through the basic game you could be, go in deeper um to kind of put a finer pin or a point on this that basic D is closer to what we have now with fifth edition where it was more like open exploration you can kind of interpret things yourself you're kind of meant to explore the space without all the rules telling you how to do everything where advanced D&D was more like what we got in fourth edition that was very like mm -hmm. tactical, rules-based, here is how this has to work, cut yeah. and paste. So they, they were trying to emulate like a like a crunchy computer game. Yeah, well, I would say so. Before they had versa. these super crunchy computer games, though, right. um, can I ask you this, Todd? Do you know sure. which one was played by more people? Like Ooh, which one... I it like when someone from this era looks back to right good old D D, are they remembering a O D D or are they remembering <laughs> a D D? That's a good question. Um I couldn't answer that. I'm not sure on these sales. I have sales information okay. for like the seventy four and the current, but not this. Okay. Okay. Um what I would say is that if you have parents that played D D, this may have been the first taste that they got. Um, you know, you'll hear stories of like, if, you know, if your parents were in the Navy, like they played Dungeons and Dragons on the boats, you know, that's what they would do. Or they'd come to, to port and they would hang out and play D&D. This might have been part of what they picked up, but more likely that's going to be the stuff they got in like the late 80s or early 90s. Sure. Okay. Um, what I will tell you to describe how advanced D&D was like not great was that it had <laughs> a it included subclasses so you could be fighting man subclass <laughs> monk um but and the good news is it gave us bard um but it also had pathways like the final fantasy job system but bad like you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't get to being a monk unless you had a strength of 15 and had done so many oh, levels sure. in fighting man oh, to sure. get to monk like or you had to do two levels in this a level in this to get over to this mm. um Everything I read made it seem like it was not great. They Final Fantasy elevened it. They find there I, it is, yeah. So can I ask then this question, Todd? Do you know, did the following iterations of D&D &D spin more out of OD&D &D or AD&D? I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say a little column A, a little column B. Okay. Because That's what I figured. We, yeah, like because best, we definitely... best parts of both kind of thing. Ultimately, we, we do end up returning back to the subclass structure. Um, that is a thing that is largely seen in 5th edition for sure, um, and a little bit in 4th. But uh, we definitely kept the basics of like, well, if you get too specific, it's not fun anymore. So, and here's what I mean. So moving on a little bit, the late 70s also gave us the very first uh, version of the three core rule books. So if you are trying to play Dungeons and Dragons, you as a player, you just need a player's manual. That's all you need. 
if you are trying to build a D&D world, actually, all you need is the internet. Everything's on the internet now. <laughs> um, but if you were to buy anything, you buy three books. You need the player's manual, the dungeon master's guide, and then you need the monster manual. Those are like the three core rule books. So the late 70s gave us that structure, and we still have that today. Um, that takes us to 1980. So 1980 is when they introduced what they called Unearthed Arcana, which if you're in our Discord, I love our Unearthed Arcana now. Unearthed Arcana <laughs> is like the playtest material that, that Wizards of the yeah. Coast puts out every couple months. What it first was, was Wizards of the Coast. Well, this wasn't Wizards of the Coast yet. Um, what it first was, was uh, Dungeons and Dragons attempt to put out new material to supplement the games. Yeah. Instead of them issuing a whole new system or a whole book, it would be like a magazine that would be like, here's some rules updates. Here's some changes. Here's some things to try. Here's a new class. Um, so that was that started in 1980. And again, we're 40 years later, like we're still getting we just got new Unearthed Arcana the other day of a sorcerer subclass to do with the phases of the moon. It's dope. Oh. Yeah. And and if correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty much all of the Unearthed Arcana eventually like that had been published so far and would eventually appear in things like Tasha's um the newer Tasha's book and Mordenkainen's yeah everything we get now is like their way of kind of telegraphing what's coming next yeah. um you know or saying like hey we want to change this thing what do you think community and then the internet's great about letting you know what it thinks about things it's and the so one thing give... the internet's best at <laughs> yeah so you give it out to the internet and the internet will say we love it or we yeah it's more of a beta test than anything, than anything else. Yeah. Which in the 80s, we weren't really doing that kind of thing. And so, no. um, which I'm going to reference that in like, what is 12 years time in this timeline. So in the 80s, um, we also continued to see more development of basic and advanced D&D. Um, the 80s also gave us even higher tiers of level play for advanced D&D. They called it companion, master, and immortals level of play. Just like build... You want advanced D&D? You want super advanced D&D? You want hyper secret advanced <laughs> D&D? Immortals D&D is for you. Like just higher level play that got weird. Um, they ended up bundling that together as like a whole package in the early 90s. And so here's what I mean. If your parents played D&D, they probably started seeing this stuff. Like this is the stuff that probably started being put together when, you know, either like we were children or like your parents were, you know, in their 20s, 30s or so. Um, this is also the iteration where we saw uh, non-human races as classes. Or yeah, non-human races as classes. So like mm -hmm. you could be a thief. You could be, you know, the, the magic man, the fighting person. <laughs> or like your class was elf. Your class was dwarf. Oh, um, just, okay. Yeah, uh, it was a very strange iteration of of things that just kind of happened in the yeah. 80s. And I'm not 100%, 100% certain. Um, my thought initially is that like we are teetering quickly towards the satanic panic of the late 80s, early 90s. And like, you know, maybe you need to draw a line between you're playing as a as an elf who is a living functioning thing in society and closer to like oh well you're a magical elf you're like a whole thing over here like elves can't have jobs like <laughs> you know might also be a like this is how the rules are structured and we can't like add classes 
in that or races in that way or something that's usually also usually an explanation and i'll double down on i have to imagine that it it all goes back to the tolkien archetypes it was like yeah if you if you're like i want to play a dwarf your only your only connection to dwarf in fiction is gimli so you're like i'm just playing gimli or you know i am i am a small and stout man with a beard that has a scottish accent like yep i have to imagine that has that uh, still like you're you're just cosplaying those those archetypes yeah yeah right so it's also worth noting since we're in that like mid 80s end of 80s timeline that in 85 uh gary gygax left that company tsr he left it after he had his concerns about being sidelined from the creative process um, he early on had sold shares of the company to other people because like it was a young company and he needed money. And so as of 85, he had relinquished or, or sold off the rest of his shares. He, he still ended up being like, well, largely influential. Um, but I still think he ended up playing in the, uh, RPG space for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. his name is still all over the books, but he did leave the company in 85, So we end up in the 90s, and like I said, this is like we're hitting peak satanic panic. Um, The material of D&D at this point, they started stripping out a bunch of stuff to try and like appease the pearl-clutching parents of suburbia. So they stripped out devils, demons, uh, sexually suggestive artwork. Uh, the ability to play an evil character was taken out of the books. Um, And again, (laughs) if if you look at the art... It's like it's a succubus. succubus. Let's think of a succubus. Yeah. Like suggestive yeah. lady devil. It's like a crudely drawn, like partially naked woman with a devil tail. <laughs> and it's just it's just really funny. It's really funny to put 2022 eyes on that and be like the parents that are like, the kids are seeing this. What if the yeah. kids see these pencil nipples? <laughs> um I I will cause the the satanic panic also hit magic the gathering and they like took didn't have demons in the gate took demons back out of the game for the longest time Mm -hmm. and it was a big like what do we replace demons with that are still like very demony but not gonna scare the parents and like right and eventually they the whole thing blew over and they're like we're sorry we ever took demons out of our game like (laughs) we were we were wrong here's demons again which were it in looking in the history like it doesn't really talk about when that stuff comes back but it comes back in third edition yeah um it it leaves here and then it just comes back 10 years later so they stripped all that stuff um the major tone of of dungeons and dragons at the time shifted from this like fantasy magic to medieval history um so they kind of went back to their initial roots to be like you're fighting the bad like go fight the siege weapons um (laughs) They also started incorporating more of that like non-combat focused content that started showing up from Unearthed Arcana. So this is where we started to see information guiding skill checks and social encounters. Um, okay. This is where we okay. also started to see like the 90s is what gave us the worlds that were built like Ravenloft, Spelljammer, and Eberron. So those might cool. not be familiar to everyone, but in order, those are like horror setting, space setting, mm-hmm. and like steampunk oh okay okay yeah i don't know eberron that's cool eberron is kind of where artificers originate from like magic Mm -hmm. and technology are together um like uh trains that are powered on electric magic rails like just 
got it. Yeah, it's so it's hundred percent my for shit. You. It's you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is also where where they started building groups for the classes. So the four groups that came out of this were warrior, wizard, priest, and rogue. And then everything else were subclasses of that. So if you wanted to be oh. a bard, you started as a rogue, and then you oh. moved into a bard. If you wanted to be a, you know, a, a paladin, paladin, probably you was a warrior. Priest. Oh, no, okay. it was a warrior because it was more hmm. like combat yeah. focused. Okay. Um, wizard is like mage and like bigger magic mage. I don't know. The names were really <laughs> dumb for this, but but they. This is like the the skill branch. More of what we have now. Um, so this 90s, like this is like the advanced D&D era. Um, AD&D is oftentimes referred to as second edition. So that might answer your, your question as okay. far as who was buying more. Um, this is also the last time we saw Thaco. So I don't know if either of you two have heard of Thaco before, mm-hmm. but anyone who's played D&D for years knows about Thaco. So Thaco is an acronym. Could be pronounced Thaco. It doesn't matter. It's an acronym that stands for two hit AC zero AC being armor class. So prior to the D20 system we have now, where like your armor class is 15, the person has to roll a 15 to hit your armor class. This was a reverse system where the lower your armor class, the better. Hmm. And I don't know how they came up with this because it's stupid. (laughs) But like, so, so say that you have a weapon uh, Andrew, you have a weapon that if you roll a 16 or higher, your weapon hits if the okay. monster's AC is zero. So that is like your weapon. So basically, if you roll a 16 or higher yep. on the Thaco scale, because the armor class is zero, you hit. Now, if that monster, because I said 16 or higher, if that monster has an AC of six on the Thaco scale, you have to roll a 10. Okay. Because you take six from whatever your standard number is if it's AC six. Oh, so they were basically, it was just kind of reversing it and saying instead of AC representing your defensiveness or your dexterity, it's mm-hmm. representing like what the monster like takes out of your attack. Kind of, Deflection yeah. or something. Okay. It, I mean, I get it. It's needlessly it, complicated, but I guess right, I get it. Right. It's, it is needlessly complicated. So... Uh, if you ever hear anyone talk about Thaco, that's a whole thing. Um, Thaco is is not used in D&D systems anymore <laughs> because in 1997, Tactical Studios rules, so TSR, they are bought by Wizards of the Coast. So this is where we get everything that we, we have go. now. Yeah, so in 97, <laughs> Wizards of the Coast buys TSR and we get the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons in the year of our Lord 2000. So... Everything you know now starts here. Like this is this is it. Okay. Um, this is where we have your basic rules and your advanced rules get merged into one sloppy mess for the third edition. <laughs> um, because they said, well, we like the crunchiness, we don't want to lose that, but also we need like it to still be easy. And so in the end, they said, what if we just do neither of those two things well, and we just <laughs> we just p- give people character sheets that are way too long are way too convoluted, have way too many skills, give you an unnecessary skill tree and how to invest those skills. Anyway, this is what I fell in love with, and now I resent what it is. So third edition is what gives us the D20 system too. So this is where it all got standardized of like, 
you roll a d20, you add in some numbers, or you subtract some numbers. This is where it started. In the older editions, you were sometimes still rolling a 20-sided dice, but it wasn't always like everything is a d20. Whereas this is, if you're going to do something, you're probably going to roll a 20-sided dice. This is also where we saw skills got finally like solidified. Feats became a thing. Um, they standardized how battle works. They standardized how actions performed. This... You can thank Wizards of the Coast for what you have today, because here's where it started. And then three years later, they said, oh, wait, we didn't really beta test this. We <laughs> need to tighten some things up. And so they gave us 3.5. So if you were me in the year 2001, you bought all the books on your like measly freshman year grocery store budget, because that's where you're working if you're Todd, it's freshman year. And then you have to buy all the books again. And so, Yikes. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so three and 3.5 are oftentimes built together. Um, the Were things... all the books at the time equivalent to like a full PlayStation 5 game every time, <laughs> every single book? They weren't, they weren't as beefy back then. Um, yeah. They weren't like they are now. But the thing about three and 3.5, so here's where some standards were made that there were a lot of things called splat books. And so splat books were like, the ultimate swordsman guide and it would give you like another fighter class oh, and it would yeah, and it would okay. give you a bunch of feats um or it'd be like you know guide to the ultimate rogue and there would be some rogue specific feats in there and there'd be some rogue specific weapons and you'd pay nine dollars to get this magazine mm -hmm. or like the samurai class you know like it's all this stuff that now probably lives on like dm's guild as not official content but was the coast was just rubber stamping shit and they're like, we can just make money. Hmm. The first DLC. Money. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a paid DLC. And here's here's where the standard came of like player's handbook plus one for building characters is that a lot of times it was like, if you're going to build a character, you need to use what's in the player's handbook. That's the base class and the base races. Oh, I, and then I, you can use one other source. Do book. one of the cool prestige. I do yeah. remember that. Yeah. Because I remember. Cool. I mean, that, yeah. that makes sense. Like, I would totally yeah. do that. And it's like spend nine dollars to get a cool samurai. Like, fuck. Yeah. 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 And, it was, and it was and it was very good. And it was authorized content largely. Um, the trick was, if you didn't institute that player's handbook plus one rule, you could, for example, if you're back then, you'd get your feats. But as a fighter, fighters didn't really get anything special. They just got a ton of feats. Every other level, you were getting a feat. And so your fighter oh. was specialized by like how well you sp swing your spear. What special stuff do you do with your spear? Maybe you get to move before and after attacking with your spear. But you could do wild things like you could take dual wielding. So you could use two weapons. And then at fourth level, maybe you take a feat called monkey grip that lets you carry two handed weapons in one hand. So by fourth level, <laughs> you're dual wielding greatsword with perfect proficiency. <laughs> and suddenly the game's you're a little a bit Souls different boss. for you. You, you yeah. are a Dark Souls boss. So oh, three so and 3.5 definitely walked so that everything else could run. Um, it was just the wild west of content. There it's... was so much stuff out there. Now, question, Todd. Was there, <laughs> since, since being the early 2000s, was there a GameFAQs-esque site where it was just like managed by a shadow council and like completely free you could just go and like look up shit because i i mean it, the internet was around and we were all on the internet at that point yeah. yeah so we my friends and i used a program called etools so okay. etools was a free program you could download that didn't have everything but had a lot of things and so you could just like 
build a character real quick just using cool, nice. e-tools um the trick is that like three is so detailed which three is what led to pathfinder now like pathfinder i think is a little bit crunchier than mm-hmm. than dnd currently is um but three you had to do so much with your skills there were so many things you just didn't like i didn't understand personally and the way things like if you were using a two-handed weapon when you attacked you did not only your strength bonus, you did your strength bonus times one and a half for damage. Like there was just all this extra yeah. stuff that was baked in. And so it was a lot harder to sit down with the pen and paper and just shot, like draw it out or put together a character as it is now. Like you could do that pretty easily now. Back then it was way more detailed. So we used D-tools because then you could just slap together a character and print it off and be like, hey, look, I've got a character. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there were probably ways to build classes custom in E-tools, but... We were dumb and in ninth grade and didn't know how (laughs) the world worked. So that's 2003 and 3.5 goes for like five years. 2008 gives us fourth edition. (laughs) You may not be looking at my notes unless you're a $10 (laughs) patron. My notes are as follows. This was bad. (laughs) Okay, but why was it bad? I'm going to tell you why it was bad. So the complaint after 3 and 3.5 was that things took too long. There were too many rules. It was too crunchy. People wanted things to move a lot smoother. Three five by the by the when we played three five in twenty ten, which was two years after four E came out, was Mm -hmm. very crunchy and like very very like super customizable and Mm -hmm. super like could do whatever you wanted to do within the rules, but it was crunchy. I remember thinking very much, I like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that like this is explicitly for yep. me, it's for and, me and for not for very many people. It you were it required ten years of heavy RPGs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and here's here's a good example. So something they will likely bring back here into the next iteration of the D D evolution are feet trees, like I like I talked about. So like prime example, the feet cleave. What cleave does is if you kill something, you get to do extra damage to the thing next to it. Cleave could then evolve into improved cleave, which meant you could take a five foot step and attack again. And then like every time you killed something, you could take another five foot step and attack again and a five foot step and attack again and a five foot. It was just this whole thing. Our buddy who had that was a fucking lawnmower. (laughs) (laughs) And And it's so much fun, but you're also like, cool, I casted magic missile on my turn um that that's probably an important piece here too is that up until fourth edition every magic that that casters would use was a resource so fourth edition gives us the first instance of like magic you could use every turn as a cantrip prior to that it was like here's your here's your slots yeah you're good luck your dice and your your hp in third edition as a caster was a d4 so like <laughs> welcome to level one you have three hit points yeah you can get killed out you can there get killed by a house cat yeah. yeah yeah you can you can get blown over and you can cast massive magic missile twice have fun yeah. if you make it through the first round you might have time to catch cast magic missile all right back to dunking on fourth edition so it was bad <laughs> um it was bad because they tried to make it more like a tactical grid-based fighting mm-hmm. game with resources and so the you know it was bad and then then the next question in my notes is okay but if it was bad why did it happen because people wanted something that was simple and to the point um they wanted something that like truly when you did this they had spell cards 
that you could print off yeah. for your character yeah, that showed that. you based on their color coded. If it was a gold card, it was an item you could use once per day. If it was a green card, you could use it every single turn. If it was a red card, you could use it like once per battle. And if it was like a black card, it was once per day or something like that. There's a color coded system to really drive it home of like, here's what you're doing. Here's how it works, which even now into fifth edition spell cards are still things, but like they're you needed those to play they're supplementary. They were, they're mm-hmm. supplementary There's now resources or reference. Um, let me ask a question. Was the, mm-hmm. was, was Flint gem hide, uh, concepted in fourth edition? Five. I played, it's okay. Fifth. I played one. Did you play edition. when we we all went you're, to Todd's place in when when he was in grad school? Your your Athens. druid was fourth edition. My druid was. I thought my druid. Was, we no, played three five. We played. It might have been, been both. Honestly, we played fourth edition when we went to your. This is for nobody but the yeah, three right. of us. It's just when we went to your us. when your your Athens your OU apartment when okay. we ate, when we ate the canned skyline chili that looked like <laughs> diarrhea in a pot. Okay. Uh, things are yeah. things are different so in the bottom half have, of your twenties. You might have also played a druid, but I'd remember playing a bard specifically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so fourth edition weekend. was like very it was like grid based combat. Like you really couldn't play without a battle map. Um, you needed those cards. Like your your characters were also then uh, classified into one of four categories. Your character was either a striker, a leader, a controller, or a defender. And then all the classes were kind of under each one of those categories. So, um, you know, as a bard, you were probably a leader or a controller, depending on the type of bard you were. Um, The only my biggest bummer here, the the one body that was left on the, the, you know, in its wake of fourth edition is a class called the Battle Mind, which was like a psychic fighter. And I don't think he is like quite captured that again. Um, But I'm extra mad about dnd fourth edition for the way that the books were released this was a money grab by wizards of the coast let me explain so player's handbook in every other edition has like the base classes base races player's handbooks for fourth edition came in player's handbook one player's handbook two and player's (laughs) handbook three that they released in waves each one would have like six classes and six races. That's horseshit. Yeah, it was horseshit. I, I just in our most recent move, my partner and I, I finally just donated them. I like I've been moving them and carrying them, and I was like, I'm just gonna <laughs> give these away. Yeah, and then, they will, then, and they will die in that used bookstore that yeah, you that yeah. ends up with them. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna get shipped off from that goodwill. No one's ever gonna use them. Um, but if we want to find a silver lining, the one thing that Fourth Edition did give us were a system called D&D Encounters. And so this might have evolved into what we know as Adventures League now, but these were things that like every week or every other week, hobby stores could basically get packaged adventures sent to them from Mm. Wizards of the Coast. And so it really started to drive home the like, we want you to play, we want you to play with friends, show up to this thing with a character within these parameters and we'll dump you in a game. They, I remember they, it was certainly an attempt to move it less move it out of the the theater of the mind aspect that like yeah five e is enti- almost entirely uh, enables um but like three three e was as well like mm-hmm. um it was much more tactile it was very like distance and and positioning based um with stuff where this is just more like 
yeah, it sounds that sounds right. Like you can do that. Like it did. It did introduce another cool uh, concept as well of like monsters could become bloodied. Yeah. Where, uh, classes or or specific races or monsters, if they fell below fifty percent hit points, they would sometimes gain new abilities or things would change. Oh, so cool. it kind of like put it, it was the second health bar on the monster. Like if you played a yeah. Hydra, yeah, it lost. It got a new head if you like hit it with a slashing weapon. But when it was bloodied, suddenly all of the heads doubled one more time just to okay. like really yeah. add some I energy like to what was I going on. I like that on. a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. 4E had some high points. It just it came at the cost of my wallet as I bought all these <laughs> stupid books. So we find ourselves that's 2008. 24, well, 2012, but they announced they're working on 5th edition. 2014 gives us 5th edition. That's what we have now. Um, there's been obviously a lot of like supplemental books that have come with it. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, um, uh, uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, like all of that stuff. Mordekainen's Guide to the Multiverse. Um, they're going to put out more stuff still. Yep. But 5th edition has largely remained mostly unchanged for like eight years now. Um, they've done some facelifts like they did the revised Ranger. Um, they've put out what has been really helpful, like some alternative uh, different class rules of trying to change things. So mm -hmm. Again, specifically, the Ranger was made bad. Uh, the Ranger was yeah, real Ranger. bad for a while. 2014's Ranger is bad. And so they did a revised one years later, and now they've done it again to be much less of like, you know, you're focused on killing these specific villains. So like, yeah. Rangers have always been like, what's your favorite foe? Okay, it's undead. Well, joke's on you. There's no undead in this campaign. <laughs> you are garbage now. Where now they've realized, okay, why don't we just let the ranger kind of at the beginning of each encounter decide what its favorite foe is? Mm, like, okay. That, okay. Well, and if, yeah. you, if you're listening to this, you subscribe to our Patreon. Matt's character, Forbogorf, is a, is a PHB ranger. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we, we had to like halfway through do a facelift like, do a facelift so now he like he doesn't use uh, a bow and arrow anymore but like we fucked with favor enemy for the same reason because mm -hmm. it's yeah. like it's pointless it's useless and it's the class the class skill right yep. unless yep. unless your unless your campaign has that specific themed enemy it's useless and so um anyway the point is to say like they've kind of honed in on what they have in fifth edition um uh, I've got some more to say about what comes next, but there's a little bit more here. So some more numbers. As of 2020, uh, Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro have seen seven consecutive years of growth. Um, I think it was in 2020. Yeah, here it is that it, uh, their profits jumped 35 percent in 2019. Like 2019 had been yeah. seen as yeah. like the biggest year for Dungeons and Dragons in 40 years, which probably has to do with Stranger Things um, and Matt I mean, Stranger. Stranger yeah, Things, Matt, Matt, Matt Mercer, and the McElroys. Yeah. Yeah. McElroys. Why did I say McElroys? <laughs> McElroys, you know. Uh, the other thing is, too, like these numbers don't even begin to discuss the spike in virtual play since 2020. I mean, since 2020, we have, they, there were some other numbers I read about how many people have just watched DD. Like, how many yeah. people have watched yeah. Twitch DD? like streams of it podcast we've been to a live DD podcast show like there there's there's we just have so a DD podcast we, i mean but we've but we've we've paid money to like <laughs> yeah you you myself and then the the patron that has sponsored Twice. this episode yeah yeah i've seen so, two D, two live DD shows so the point is that 
people are consuming more Dungeons and Dragons now than they did, you know, years and years and years ago. Um, it, it's also worth noting that, like, in the changes Dungeons and Dragons has made, they have realized that their foundation was not always good, that there was a long time where there's a lot of, like, othering of, you know, the, wow, it's it's really interesting that the elves with the dark skin are the bad elves, like, mm-hmm. that they have savage races of bad, like, monsters. And so D&D did make a, Wizards of the Coast made a pointed attempt to try and address some of those things in the past couple years. Um, no one from Hasbro is listening to this. They haven't done a great job all the time. Like, they still continue <laughs> yeah. to mess up. They made a huge flop in their last source book. Like, they have they are far from perfect. Whenever you have race as a mechanic, you're right, going yeah. to just step on some rakes um, often over and over again because it's it's a iffy sub it's a hard subject to tackle and they're yeah. doing it a lot, so it it gets weird. And and I mean our our friend Eric Silver of Join the Party Fame has wrote a really interesting article. We should we'll put it in the show notes um, if I can find it. Uh, about like those so going back to those those old token Tolkien ass mm-hmm. themes I mean yes they're classic and yes like when you say Tolkien elf or a fantasy elf you know what you're thinking about but they're also incredibly racist and yeah like yeah. steeped mm-hmm. in very very like old world old British colonialism British right? colonialism yeah. racism yeah I mean and it's it's hard and he was talking about I mean gnomes gnomes are the small little people with big no, no big noses that own all of the banks, like right. Yep. Come on, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so, right? But but they are. I mean, I I'll just double down on Todd's point. I I, I agree. Like the, any, they're doing. They could uh, they could obviously be doing more, but they're doing as much as a big mat big multinational conglomerate corporation can. Well, and I would say too, like they haven't backed down. I mean the. There is a very specific corner of the internet that unfortunately I am like aware of due to my interests and the number of people that just like got mad at was the coast when they were like, hey, you know what? Not all orcs are strong. Not all orcs are bad. And we think you as a player should be able to choose that. And here's mechanically how we're putting this in. If you want to play a gentle orc, go for it. And you can. And that corner of the internet lit up. And not once did I see Wizards of the Coast flinch from nope. that. Now, nope. again, they have fumbled the ball on many other things, but at least like that was a good step. And I'm not going to silver lining again. It's a multi-billion dollar corporation. Yeah. Like They don't they need are... our protection. <laughs> no. Yeah. But I will at least recognize like the one good move they've done and then make sure to also say they're not great yet. Yeah. So where we are now, um, we have recently had the announcement that there is to be a facelift for fifth edition coming out in 2024. I think they realize that they are still making books and that people have spent a lot of money on books and that they do not want to force people to unnecessarily buy more books again because, oh my God, I will pirate every book if yeah. I have to buy mm-hmm. six new source books. And so they have called this the one D&D initiative. And they have said that everything they release at 2024 and back will be backwards compatible. Um, I guarantee there will be a new player's handbook. I guarantee basically the big three, the player's handbook, the monster manual and the DM's guide. Those will probably all be new. 
but they said that all the other content will be backwards compatible. All the so, all the supplemental yeah. materials you bought will still supplement, which this. makes it go down a lot smoother. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's the mechanics in the D and or in the DMs guide are really just the how tos. Like there's yeah. not anything that changes there. The players hand ever. Yeah, I'll buy a new player's handbook every edition you put out. Whatever. I just I'm bought my first idiot. one ever yesterday. <laughs> well, and it's in Spanish. <laughs> no, well, I exchanged that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got yeah Kyle, Andrew showed up to D&D with a player's handbook in Spanish. <laughs> and Espanol. Hey, if, if, was, if, that's, if that's how Andrew wants to learn Spanish, yeah, good it for was him. A manual de el jugador. <laughs> uh, so that, that gets us to now. And so um, I want to take a quick break. Because when we get back, I've got some fun D&D lore that I want to share, just like tidbits that I think are fun of the last 40 years of D&D, um, and then a special game. So sit tight and don't go anywhere. All right, so we're back. So we've talked about about 40 years, give or take, of uh, D&D and where it came from and where we're at. And so uh, with all that source material, I think there are just like some fun things that are worth talking about, like major names, uh, major people, major reasons why things are called what they are. And so I kind of dug deep into the stuff that I know and the stuff that I'm interested in to share with you. So hopefully this just gives you like some fun stuff. So let's talk first about Vecna. Um, so the the Lich Vecna, which you may oh, know. Oh, like the, from Stranger Things. Like from Stranger Things, Kyle. Thank you. Um, so listeners of this show, purveyors of Netflix Stranger Things, you've heard of Vecna. So in D&D lore, and this goes back. This goes back to like the 80s or more. To, to Stranger Things times. To, stop it. Stop it Kyle. Um, when, when Gary Gygax invented Stranger was Things. Was on Stranger Things. So Vecna was a powerful lich. Um Vecna, however, I believe they were destroyed, but in their destruction, they left behind an eyeball and a hand. And those are both powerful relics. They are like legendary relics. Yeah, you lose How two life when it enters the battlefield. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that you characterize it that way because to use either of those things, to use the eye, you have to pluck out your own eye and put <laughs> cool. the lich's eye into That's your awesome. eye. And your player takes like a permanent amount of damage, like your constitution drops by a set amount oh, wow. because of it. But then you get all these extra super lich powers. No, Andrew um, was specifically making a magic the game. Oh, I understood joke. what Andrew okay. was making. Okay. I okay. certainly get it. Um, <laughs> you know, just like if you want to use the hand of Vecna, you have to cut off your hand and put the hand there uh, to, to tie it to one more relevant thing. Canonically, or not, because D&D canon isn't actually real canon. Everything changes all the time. The uh, the hand of Vecna currently resides in the possession of a character who's a dragonborn named Arcan the Cruel. If that name doesn't ring a bell to you, that is the player character of Joe Mangiello from his time from on From How Friday. I Met Your Mother. <laughs> Shut up, Kyle. <laughs> from Stranger Things. From, from True Blood. Um <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. I have Vecna. It's on a. It's on a Magic the Gathering card. Yeah. yeah so Joe Mangiello, huge D and D nerd, um, huge nerd in general, mm -hmm. uh, on Critical Role played a character, a Dragonborn named Arcan the Cruel, and he has currently the That's hand wild. of Vecna. <laughs> yeah, he has this undead uh -huh. lich's hand severed to his. Um, more fun D and D thing. So everyone knows what werewolves are. 
werewolves, most famous kind of lycans just that you could find. Um, in the world of Dungeons and Dragons, there is a precedent of nearly every animal having a were version. So, <laughs> and I think this is wild. Werewolves, obviously. Werebears, also believable. That was my nickname in high school. That is not a there joke. You there you go. <laughs> were ravens, there are campaigns that focus them. Were rats, they show up in another campaign. Were swans, Get that is a here. thing. Were sharks, also a thing. Where do cool. where do were swans reside? How does one become a were swan? Yeah, you get yeah. bit by another were swan. <laughs> swans <Kyle>. are mean. <laughs> yeah, swans are mean. So uh, I forget what the specific setting is, but there is a setting within. So you know there are a lot of areas in the Dungeon Dragons mythos. So I obviously listed you know Ravenloft, uh, their Planescape, Eberron, whatever. Um, there are different planes. There's different regions. Uh, the Sword Coast is a whole thing. That's where Baldur's Gate is. Um, there's all these little pockets of stuff. And so it might be on a different planet, a different plane, whatever. But there are were swans. There are were sharks. And I cool. think that's incredible. And now yeah. I just want to make a character and explain all of their powers being were swan powers. <laughs> <laughs> So here's a fun one. Um, have either of you two ever heard of the Kuotua? Yes. I, I figured Andrew has. I wasn't sure about Kyle. Um, I I heard that name, but I. Yeah. So they're they're sinister, goopy fishmen. Um, <laughs> they're live, my favorite. Yeah, they live <laughs> they live in the underdark, and they worship a god named Bloodbloop. It's just like a B, L, a bunch of O's, and it ends with another B and a P. They're so fucking derpy. I'm going to put it. They're, put they're very to... derpy. Um, Todd, can I, like... ask, can I ask a question I've had for a long time playing D&D? What is yeah. the Underdark? So the Underdark is just like underground dark space. <laughs> um, that's it's a simple like, okay. way to It's call like, it. um, do you know the ancient Dwemer ruins in any Elder Scrolls game? It's oh, like sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like an underground that's, civil civilization that it's been that's been like feral for millennia. Right. Gotcha. Um, there are gotcha. whole campaigns that are. I think actually there is a D and D campaign called Journey into the Underdark. Um, sure. But but these are like, uh, you know, bipedal, goopy fishmen. Um, I love them. And again, they yeah. they they worship a god. It's there's it's, there's no way they don't talk like this. <laughs> they they look like. <laughs> They look like they would be a SpongeBob character. Um, <laughs> so, so here they they worship this like sinister fish god. However, historically, like they are mentally unstable because they were mistreated by mind flayers, and like the mind flayers broke their minds because minds mind flayers eat your brains. It's a whole thing. Sure. Further, mind flayers mess them up so bad that with their inherent magic and lack of sanity. They gave them the ability to manifest their own entities, gods, or supernatural events. And so, like, in the D&D canon, a group of Kuotua can get together and manifest their own gods into existence. That's a thing Amazing. they can just do wow. if they start convincing each other that a god exists. Which, that's... That's the weird D and D shit that I love. That's awesome. That's like um, that is similar to how orcs in Warhammer work. Um, mm -hmm. They they can like they have space travel because if they believe if enough of them believe something is true, it is. So like, um, 
the the Lauren very quickly. The Lauren Warhammer is that like orcs enough orcs believe red painting something red makes it go fast. So painting stuff red in Warhammer makes it go fast. And like that's great. That is that is actual canon in Um, Warhammer. You guys aren't going to want to hear this, but this is also the main con, the primary driving concept of critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy (laughs) XIV. Not a joke. It is also here. It is also the concept of a Neil Gaiman book, American All Gods. Right, moving on. Yeah. This is this is my time, not your time. <laughs> um, so in so part of D and D area, uh, con- continents and spaces are, are referred to as like the Forgotten Realms. And so in the Forgotten Realms, there is okay. lore of a story uh, that is called the Night of the Fourteen Magisters. And so uh, I found this in a Reddit thread where people are sharing their favorite weird D and D lore. Apparently, this office of this, like, magister, um, it passed from succession uh, to the next person in line. At that point, nine different clones of an archmage, one by one, killed that next successor and the clone before it to become the new magister, only then to be killed by that archmage himself, only then to be killed by their apprentice, and then by a passing mage, and then that mage's apprentice, each one by one killing each other to take that title of head magister all in the course of a single night. And that is actual D&D lore of a thing that happened. Good. The night my, of the 14 magisters. My my 13 dads can beat up your 14 <laughs> magisters. <laughs> well, I've, I've already tapped mine. They're activated. They're ready to go. Is that a, it's, that a thing? Yes. Is that yes. how that works? Got it. Um, this one's this one's for me. I love the Raven Queen. The Raven Queen's one of my favorite like demigods in D and D lore. The Raven Queen's lore includes that she was born a mortal, died, became the lover of the god of death himself, killed him, claimed his godlihood and all of his domains, and then used her power to erase her own name and record of his existence as a mortal in the universe. That's rad. That's so cool. Yeah. So that is why she controls areas of the shadow fell because she took it and then she erased herself like from existence. Okay. That's cool. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. And and sorry, shadow fell is different than under dark, right? Yeah. Shadow fell is a different plane of existence. Okay. Under dark could just be like, under is places. am i correct in in assuming like is shadow fell like um D hades or like D like not not necessarily so D D hades is actually well there's i'm gonna push up my glasses <laughs> yeah, there are nine there are nine layers of hell in dungeons and dragons okay um starting with uh starting with avernus at the top ending with uh asmodeus uh his area he controls the ninth um, so Shadowfell is a different plane of existence altogether. It's a their pocket dimensions, which okay. none of this gotcha. means anything. It's like what's a timeline? What's a what's a reality? It's mul- yeah, it's multiverse versus mm-hmm. the timeline. Yeah, uh, this is a fun one. Everyone knows what a beholder it is. Uh, beholders don't fly due to magic; they fly thanks to an organ that they have called a leviter magus. It is oh. a it is part mm. of their body. Their little bulbous. Uh, uh, 
Mike Wazowski body that is <laughs> yeah. surrounded like by their brain. I was going to say, I don't know that everyone does know what a beholder is, but that's an incredible way to explain it. Yeah, if Mike Wazowski had, had four yeah. more limbs and shot rays of sadness at you. Um, for everyone who doesn't know, beholders are the Pikachu of D&D in that mm. um, it's, it's the, <laughs> yeah. the face of D&D. It's, it's that, that Mike Wazowski head with uh, 11 eyes on the top of it, or 10 so eyes on good. the top of it. Yeah. So... So the last little bit here about fun D&D lore is that obviously Gary Gygax was a huge influencer to everything going on here. Um, obviously played D&D himself with all of his D&D buddies that helped write and, and do all this stuff. And so people that played Dungeons and Dragons know there are a lot of names attached to things. Famous names uh, specifically of spells that, that appear throughout the years of D&D. And I thought it'd be fun to share some of the origin of where those names came from. And so uh, Gary Gygax in the 80s, and probably in the 70s prior, had a home game going on with all of the, his friends that influenced D&D. And the character names and the NPC names they put together in those games and the lore they built in those games impacted the stuff we have now. So the character Melf of Melf's Acid Arrow, that was one of uh, Gygax's oh. sons. Yeah, his son played cool. a character named Melf, so he named Melf's Acid Arrows. Now, do these characters have these have these been like retconned as actual characters in D anD D, or is so, it just like straight up that they are what part? Melf is? They are part of the lore of okay. um, uh, Greyhawk. I think is like the story. Um, okay. So this is like as canon as it can be. Cool. Now, granted, like every iteration, they change things. Like. You know, the the Strahd and the Ravenloft we got in earlier editions isn't the same thing now. It's different. But like this is story like it is as canon as canon can actually be. Um, Tensor of Tensor's floating disc is another one of his sons. So he had a character named Tensor. Um, Mordenkainen was actually a character that Gygax made himself. Um, so he <laughs> played Mordenkainen, the, the mage. Um, he has been notably quiet about what level Yep, more there's a magic there's gonna be a card for all of this. There's always a yeah, magic they just, gathering. They card. just did a, a two D and D sets. Like uh, yeah. I, I can't help myself. No, it's fine. That would be uh that's probably Mordekainen's faithful hound. Um yep. is that picture there. That uh Gygax himself when asked, like, well, how powerful? Like, what are the stats for Mordekainen? And Gygax has repeatedly said that uh he has like twenty something levels of power, has always been very sheepish. Yeah. about explaining as how powerful he is because in D&D canon and Gygax's canon like Mordenkainen is one of the most powerful mortal sorcerer mages Which in is ironic existence. that he gets bodied by Strahd he does get bodied by Strahd spoiler <laughs> alert if you have played Curse of Strahd he's out there um, other characters like Bigby, Rary, and Otto are also NPCs that showed up in this home game they were playing and that they just loved so much that they chose to immortalize them in spell lore. So that would be um, Big B's crushing hand and imposing hand, um, Otto's irresistible dance, and I forget what Rary's was, some sort of spell that did something. <laughs> so so here's where I'm getting at. So Gygax had this game with all of his buddies and his, and his sons too, and all of these named NPCs and characters that they loved so much that they ultimately built what was called the Circle of Eight. And so Mordekainen and Bigby, because Bigby at this point canonically was the second most powerful sorcerer, decided that they needed to put together a council of super friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and they put together a council of super friends that it is their job to oversee the planes to monitor the balance of good and evil law and chaos to ensure that no one force dominates excessively one way or another you know beyond a a, a good amount and so it's a footnote that they aim specifically to work in the background especially sometimes because they have to like work for evil to balance out good um but they are like the the council that watches everything um and like another footnote there's actually nine of them um it's kind of like um it's it's mordekainen in the circle of eight uh yeah it's like arthur and the knights of the round table is that what you're reaching for yeah so there are nine total there the eight so the the they form what was called the citadel of the eight so an actual tower um so it was mordekainen bigby bucknerd uh dromage leominster uh nystool uh Otto and rary and then an unknown nine mage ninth mage and then that one left and they replaced them with tensor so all of these are titled people that have spells and uh, and again like these came from their home game like they were yeah. dudes hanging out playing a game and are like this is the lore now we're just gonna make <laughs> this the new story uh, um and it's also fun at one point the council was all destroyed except for mordekainen um, and at that point, Mordekainen had to make clones of all the other uh, eight <laughs> to fight Vecna. Like, so he had to clone them all again. Um, but it's still wild because, like, these characters exist in the lore to some capacity 40 years later. You know, as Andrew said, we just played Curse of Strahd in our personal life. Mordekainen shows up there if you do the right things. So, like, still exists. And what I'm trying to say here is that there is precedent that eventually when they build a Dungeons and Dragons world in an office setting, <laughs> that they could consult us and yep. there may be a structured Marvis and Marvis campaign module because there is now precedent for that sort of thing. Yes. Good. I love it. So that is like my bit of D&D lore. I have one more thing that we have to do today. So if you two don't have any questions, then... Or any like thoughts um, here? It, where does does Tasha appear up in the appear in the circle? That was the other like named character mm-hmm. that I always see like as yeah, a, so, their so hideous I laughter. I didn't put Tasha in here, um, and I don't know who she originates to, but I do know Tasha is the daughter of Baba Yaga. Um, that's oh, a thing. that's right. Yeah, um, because okay. then there's also a clone of Tasha out there that has a different name. Oh, um, effectively, like there's. And hey, listeners, if you want more of this, we could do a round two of this for sure. But there are ties to everything, um, you know, so I don't know exactly what Tasha was named after, um, but there is probably a Tasha somewhere. I have a Tasha Magic the Gathering card. Hold on. What is what is your question, Andrew? Do you know anything about the the old Baldur's Gate games or like Planescape Torment or any of the like other Western RPG like actual video game like computer games that are based in the do you know how any of those and how those stories connect to this world? Yes, um, kind of. So Baldur's Gate is a location on the Sword Coast. Um, okay. It is a it is a location in the Sword Coast. Which if you're not familiar with the Sword Coast, um, if you have played. Uh, I, I mean, there's a handful of modules I can think of that have locations along the Sword Coast. You could look up a map of the Sword Coast yeah. and you will see 
locations that indicate Baldur's yeah. Gate um, is part of that. Neverwinter exists yep. in the Sword Coast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Neverwinter, or the Sword Coast is like the default everything's here. And yeah. so um, Baldur's Gate is there. The places that are referenced in those games are at least some of them canon in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. So there is a direct connection. Um, you know, Dritz Duarden ends up in Baldur's Gate 2, Dark Alliance, or not Dark Alliance, but Baldur's Gate 2, Shadows mm-hmm. of Om. Um, like there are certainly ties back and forth. I don't know how much it's a one-to-one exchange, but they are ref- they self-reference one another for sure. Cool. Yeah. Um, here's my game. I have for you two today and um i'll keep score because i think that'll be fun <laughs> we are in the year 2022 40 some years of D. there are a lot of D modules out there that are either full books of adventures adventurers league one shots things they've snuck in the back of dragon magazines whatever and i want to play a game with you two today and it is called is it a Dungeons & Dragons module or is it a video game quest? And so I'm going to <laughs> list a name and you're going to tell me if you think it's a D&D module or if you think it's a quest name from a different video game. Okay. And I got a list and I'm pretty pumped. So, for I example, like this. This, is a, this is a trial run. If I were to say Ghosts of Saltmarsh. I would guess module... I'll go video game quest. So it is a D&D module. Ah. Now, if I were okay. to say a shore in a sea of ghosts. That sounds like a quest. That's a quest. And that is a quest from Skyrim. Okay. So so the, that's right. a warm up. So that's good. That's see, how there, see how there's some close ones. You don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, kn- I know the like big modules, but I yeah, I don't know a lot of the. You want to guess how many big modules I put in here, Andrew? None. <laughs> Probably zero. It's none. None big Are, ones. Well, I don't. I wouldn't guess that there is any video game quest called the Sword Coast Adventurers Guide. <laughs> <laughs> Ghosts of Saltmarsh is the. I think the biggest one I put on this list. There's one yeah, more, maybe. It's, okay. It's, my, it's a big Minds of Philander. 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 You can delete this. <laughs> I want to keep it in here. All right. So we're gonna start. All right. First one. A blade in the dark. Let's that go. Let's go. Is, oh, that's that's that is a quest. That is a quest from Elder Scrolls Four. Um, I I'm gonna go. That's a quest as well because Andrew's I, so confident. Yeah, I'm not giving bonus points for Ever's first. Um, but it is a quest. It's a quest from Skyrim. Oh, okay. Skyrim, yeah. Fine. So, so that's good. See, we're playing the game. I like this. Uh, Swords of Deceit. Oh shit. <laughs> that's that's a that's a D and D module. I'm going to guess quest again. It is a D&D module. Hunt for the Phantom. Hunt for the Phantom. That's so vague. D- D&D so module vague. again. Uh, Quest. It is a quest from Halo Spartan Assault. Ah. <laughs> Good. Uh, Scourge of the Howling Horde. That's got to be a Warcraft quest. That's a, a video game quest, yeah. That is a D&D module. God damn ah. it. I fucking God. love this. I'm this, having this so much really fun. Good. These are this, so infuriatingly vague. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh the shattered gates of slaughter guard. Get the fuck out of town. That's a D&D module. Slaughter guard. Yeah, that's Shut a, up. 
D and D module. That is in fact a D and D module. <laughs> a beacon in the dark. Video game quest. Yeah, that sounds like a video game quest. That's World of Warcraft. Quest. That's yeah. Warcraft. <laughs> that is a video game quest. Uh, the Necromancer's Amulet. D and D module. That is a quest from Oblivion. Ah, cool. The Forge of Fury. The Forge of Fury. D and D module. Uh, D and D module. It is in fact a D and D module. The Speaker in Dreams. Video game. Uh, quest. quest. That is a D and D module. Oh, <laughs> so God. shitty. These titles suck. The Unhealing Wound. <laughs> Come on, the unhealing um, wound. Uh, video game quest. D and D story driven. It is a video game quest from Brutal Legend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good. Hellspike Prison. Ugh. Um, D and D module. I'll guess module too. It is a D and D module. Usually uh, locations are like pretty good bets. Oh. The house of the house of horrors. Come on. It's uh, tough, right? D- game quest. D&D module. It is a game quest from Skyrim. Ugh. I Man, know, right? Todd Howard, oh, make some better quest <laughs> titles. Uh, deep, deep Horizon. <laughs> I don't know. It's a module. It's a movie, sure. right? It's a, it's <laughs> it a, might a, also be a movie. It's a video game quest. It is a module. Oh, God. damn. Uh, something's cooking. <laughs> That's a quest. That's got to uh, be a video quest. game. D and D, D and D quest. D and D module. Whatever the it's whatever is for module. T- yeah, something's it's a D&D cooking. Module. What is? What are you doing? <laughs> what is, something's what is cooking. cooking? What is cooking, Todd? Some things I don't know. Some give things. Me, give me one task that you do in cook. Well, I guess that was dumb. Give me you two throw, tasks you that you do in something's cooking. You you carry a cauldron into the boss fight yeah, and yeah. use it to beat okay. the critical boss. All right. Uh, the crumbling hall of the frost giant Jarl. That's got to be a Skyrim quest. That's Skyrim. Yeah, that's that is uh, a D and D module. Fires in the sky. Uh, video that's game like quest. a Bioshock quest. It's a uh, Fallout New Vegas. Okay. Test of the demon web. D and D module. <laughs> yeah, D and D module. That is a D and D module. Or a Spider-Man uh, quest. <laughs> right. uh, regrets of Infinite Mire. A D&D module. Uh, video game quest. Video game quest from Brutal Legend again. Oh. <laughs> so, so really good. Ill Wind in Freezeford. Uh, D&D I'll module. Say module. That is a D&D module. Ill Wind in Freezeford. Okay. Bad Moon Waning. That is Video a song by quest. the Eagles. <laughs> it, is, it is not a song by the Eagles. It might be a song by the Eagles. Uh, video game quest. That is a D&D module. Oh, uh, beginning of the end. That's got to be a Video quest. game it's quest. Story, that's a story mission. Video game quest. That's Doom 2016 for those keeping track at home. Okay. Uh, to quell the rising storm. Uh, another mm, D&D game module. Quest. That is a D&D module. Jeez. Um, all right, I got a few more. The Glowing okay. Sea. Uh, D&D module. Uh, module. That is from Fallout 4. Uh, <sighs> the Lost Patrol. 
uh, game quest. I'm going to stick with D&D module on this one. Alex. Uh, also from it is also from Fallout 4. Ah. Uh, <laughs> uh, return to the Temple of the Frog. Video game um, quest. A module? It's a D&D module. Hey, Todd, question. Can we play Return to the Temple of the Frog, please? <laughs> that's, that's what we'll do next. Um, Great. The, sal- the Salamander's Tale. Uh, module. D&D module. That is from Witcher 3. No. Oh. King- Kingdom of Ghouls. Uh, it's a tool album. <laughs> It's a uh, a video game quest from Fallout. Yeah, it the Fallout like series. A, it sounds like a Fallout quest. It is a module. Fucking the hell. the Siren's <laughs> Deception. Uh, shit. I'm gonna guess module. I'm gonna guess a video game quest. That is from Oblivion. Okay. Uh, Kyber's Harvest. Kyber's um, video game Harvest. quest. Yeah. From I'll a Star so. Wars thing. I'll guess quest. That is a module. I'm um, gonna all right. blow, done. burn your house <laughs> down, wow. Todd. Trolls of Forsaken Mine. Uh that's a trick question. This is a video game quest. D D module. It is a video game quest from Oblivion. Uh Madness at Gardmore Abbey. D D module. Abbey. Yeah, module. Yeah, it's also a module. Storm King's Vengeance. Mm, video this is game another quest. trick question. Video game quest. That is video games from World of Warcraft. Uh, Storm okay. King's Thunder. King's Thunder. Yeah, that's the other one I know. That's the module. <laughs> um, I, Andrew got you by like four, Kyle. But yeah, was, I know. I thought of that this when cool. I was looking this up today. I was like, was oh my good. god, how many of these modules have really stupid quests? titles a lot that's really good that's very that, good you, sh- you should uh write the writers of um actually that's a great uh <laughs> that's a great that would topic. be a good yeah. one yeah you're right yeah. so that's what i have here today um that is that is yeah, i think that's everything you could ever say about D personally and i i got it in you know a little, <laughs> little under an hour and a half um do you guys have thoughts this was fun. This was um, very fun. Yeah. yeah. It makes me want to go and play the old uh, like Baldur's Gate and Planescape games just because like, I don't know those worlds very well, and I've always been curious. Yeah. But yeah, this kind of like this went, this was enough to like whet my appetite to look mm-hmm. to keep going. It, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly... gonna build three characters tonight while we're watching <laughs> TV or something. Uh, like... Look up, look up Explorer's Guide to Eberron. Um, I'm surprised I haven't talked to you about this before, Andrew. Especially like you would just eat that shit up, um, and yeah. then like uh, anything that has to do with Planescape is probably right up in Kyle's alley. Um, or they uh, they did. Maybe Strixhaven also crossed over to the Magic the Gathering stuff. Is Strixhaven that was a magic set, and then yeah, they made a module right. out of it. They did Ravnica is the same mm-hmm. thing. Guild Guild Master's Guide to Ravnica is yeah, good. yeah. And there's so yeah. many good source books. I mean, they've. I that's what I will say. As mad as I was for buying all the books that I had to buy forever, I'm thrilled at what they've been able to do now. Um, I feel like the books that I've bought have value. I you know, we were in the heat of Curse of Strahd when I bought Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. And like I skimmed through that knowing that like I don't have time to look at that now. But knowing that 
we may potentially at some point do a gem hide holiday special um <laughs> and there may be a hunt for a christmas lich um i've, I've got the source material there to do it gotcha. um but yeah i i love that i can share this with you all listeners i love that i can share this with you D has become just this like huge part of my life um and i i you know in case it's not apparent i am incredibly passionate about this stuff that you know we could fill another hour and a half of air just of like stories of goofums just yeah. you know as recently as andrew's plasmoid monk yesterday putting an eel in a sleeper <laughs> hold on friday night um and just just yelling go to sleep as he elbowed it to death so i mean D D is a, a silly fun time for all of us and i hope you listeners um also are able to experience that and feel free to add us if you've got thoughts we are all always ready to talk about this but if nothing else, thank you so much for listening in to debate this. You can, of course, follow along with the arguments on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Debate This Cast, or on our website at debatethiscast.com. And once again, a very special thanks to patron and sanctioned healer slash harmer of his adventure party, Hoomstradamus. Um, you are a, a bright light in a dark place that at one point was Barovia. Um, also, I think you eradicated every other holy person that you met in that dark and dismal land. And so... Once more, if you listeners want to commission your own episode of a flavor text, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash debate this cast. Join up at the master debater level where you'll have access to the post show, Google Doc Notes, um, all other forms of extended content. If you're on the Google Doc Notes for this document, you can see all the Magic the Gathering cards Kyle <laughs> kept finding as, as additional sources for things that I was looking up. Um, you also get access to an exclusive TD Executive Suite Discord channel. And a new thing, um, you actually get a free premium improv sound effect to record uh, that you can use as a text message notification from Kyle. Kyle, do you want to give him a sample of what that sound effect will be? There it is. That is yours. Um, you can get a, a high-def version of that just by being uh, an exec-level Patreon, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, some exclusions may apply. <laughs> there it is <laughs> many will enter few will win <laughs> <laughs> right. you gotta you gotta uh, mail your rebates in until next time i'm todd thomas i'm kyle i take adderall to treat my a d and d harper <laughs> i'm andrew calabosos e dragonores <laughs> henderson <laughs> and we're saying thanks for debating with us and you think we're wrong you can come fight us behind the swing sets nerds Forgot about your Spanish handbook. <laughs> <laughs>